Hey there. Welcome to episode 17 of MacBook Pro. It is Macklin. I'm recording today's episode from my flat. It is a rainy day in Berlin. The weather has been very confusing. And yesterday was like some of the nicest weather that I've seen in a really long time. The sun was shining. I had a t-shirt on. I had my coat draped over my arm as I was walking down the street, and within an hour and a half, it was torrential downpour, uh, lightning thunder, you know, giant puddles in the street. It was crazy. So sometimes Berlin is like that. You can't really guess how things are going to go. At least you just got to be prepared um, for all, all weather conditions. You know, it's funny because I have the option, I guess, of really going anywhere that I would want to go most of the time. Um, there are so many other places that I could spend my winters. But I do find that when I go to places like, for instance, I spent uh, a month in uh, Croatia a couple years ago, and um, I've spent time in Italy, and um, yeah, I mean the Canary Islands, for instance, you know, when I spend time outside of Berlin, I'm, I'm usually very excited about it, but I don't always feel, I don't feel the way I do when I'm in Berlin. It's really bittersweet because I love to travel. I like to meet new people, but there's almost something that I, ha- I haven't been able to find in another place the way that I can in, in Berlin. And I'm not speaking about Berlin in the summer because Berlin during the summertime is a completely different place from what it is during the winter. Like in the summertime, I yet, I've yet to find a place that is as much fun as Berlin is in the summer. But in the winter, you know, there are tons of different places that I could go that I would have warmer weather, maybe I would have more sun, you know, I've spent some time in Portugal as well. And while I find it beautiful, I guess it's because like I don't know any other languages. Um, I've studied German for, like in university, I studied it for three years, about, and in since I've been in Germany almost three years, I guess you can say that I've been passively learning German since I moved here. But I don't know, I guess that's probably what it is. Like when I'm in Berlin, I just, I have no problem getting around using my German. And I don't like to inconvenience people because I guess I have a pretty strong feeling that if I'm going to go somewhere, I'd like to at least know some of the language so that anyone that I interact with knows that I'm trying but yeah, like when I've gone to Portugal, I pretty much just speak English. Um, the same for Croatia. So maybe the solution there is that I should actually try to learn some of the language before I go. I think I just, I think I just cracked the code. Um, but yeah, I mean, the weather here has just been super bipolar. 
the entire winter, which feels like six months, if not longer, is pretty much like a roller coaster. It starts off with a pretty with a pretty low low because well, November, right? It's right after my favorite holiday, which is Halloween. November doesn't really have a whole lot going on. My birthday's in November, but other than that, it's a pretty gray month. And then most of December, well, much of December is uneventful. But then the holidays kind of come around and there's a lot of joy. But then after New Year's, January isn't really that exciting. February is a great a great month if you're in a relationship, and so is March. I guess January as well. It's nice in the winter to be with someone because you always have someone that you can spend time with. And yeah, I'm not going to lie, like having like a, a really hot coffee on the couch next to someone in the winter is kind of unbeatable. Or like watching Netflix at night and just like hanging out, it's unbeatable. But you know, what do you do during the rest of the year? I don't think that there's um, a sustainable way of only being in a relationship for winters. And I I did read somewhere and I have no idea where, and I don't want to be irresponsible and just give random statistics that I have no idea um, the validity of, but I'm going to do that anyway. I read a stat that like in the summer is when the majority of people break up. And ever since I read that, I always thought, it's not a good idea to get into a relationship during the summer because that's when you want to be single. But I think that that's flawed thinking because, you know, ideally you would meet somebody who you would want to spend all the seasons with. Now, the seasons affect a lot of of people in different ways. Um, For me, I've noticed that like in the wintertime, I'm usually extremely focused, very disciplined. Um, My body is a temple. That's my, my, my attitude during the winter. And then in the summer months, I tend to be a lot looser with certain things. But I think like the happiest medium would just be having balance and just making sure that I, I do what it takes to make myself fee, feel seen and heard. That's like an interesting concept, right? And it was something that I really hadn't thought about until my last relationship. It's like this idea of feeling seen when you see someone, like you actually make them feel seen, it can like unlock something in that person that if you're able to like keep a finger on the pulse, I think can lead to like a level of like happiness, consistent happiness, consistent love, you know, strong communication. But the minute that you stop seeing the other person, like you're, you're not, you're no longer acting in a way that allows that other person to feel seen. I feel like the relationship can go downhill quite quickly. And we talk a lot about like what to do to make other people feel seen, but what, what do you do to make yourself feel seen? Um, I think for me, I've made a lot of promises to myself over the years. One second, I'm going to have a water break. I'm getting thirsty. And I'm back. I've made a lot of promises to myself over the years. And some of those promises, most of those promises, 
almost all of those promises, I feel like I haven't kept. And I've gotten better about this um, recently because so to me, like so much of of internal harmony is derived from trusting yourself and knowing that you're doing what's in your best interest, even when you don't want to, right? Like there's a lot of self-sabotage that goes into becoming a better version of yourself. And so I think it's really important to just like keep your promises to yourself and make yourself feel seen and loved and heard. Because once you feel seen and loved and heard by yourself, like with yourself alone, uh, maybe you don't seek that out in other people. Maybe you don't expect other people to, to do that for you. And I've talked about this a few times now, but like expectation setting is probably the most important thing uh, to creating a long-term sustainable relationship. But what do you do to create one with yourself? You know, you don't want to have a toxic relationship with yourself where you make excuses for not doing the things that you say that you're going to do and then beat yourself up over it because you believed your own lies. Like when when you are grocery shopping and you're hungry and you put something into your basket that you know you told yourself the day before you didn't want to eat anymore, but now it's in your basket and your first response when you see it in the basket and you, whether you consciously or unconsciously acknowledge that you're planning on taking it home and eating it, say to yourself, oh, well, you know, um, I didn't mean it yesterday when I said I wasn't going to eat that anymore. Because once you start saying stuff like that, then how do you trust yourself ever? Like so many things are addictive and I definitely have an addictive personality. And so I always wonder, you know, like if I'm going to let myself get away with this, what is that going to lead to? What are the other things that I'm going to let myself get away with? And it's not about policing yourself, right? It's about like discipline is not about punishing yourself. Discipline is about loving yourself. And a lot of people will say, oh, I don't want to deprive myself of this thing. But I really do believe that true freedom comes from deprivation. If you want to call it deprivation, I would call it abstinence, but it's not sexual. But like abstinence from certain foods that you know that they don't serve you or certain activities that you know make you feel guilty or, you know, just the things that you feel like you do that don't improve your life. If you abstain from doing those things then I think you find true freedom because you're no longer bound by an addiction. But addiction is always tough because it's a very fine line. And unfortunately, in most cases of addiction, unless it's extremely apparent, it's something that you have to actually admit to yourself. Because chances are, if, if you're exhibiting addictive behavior, uh, unless it's like, you know, in other people's faces, like if you have roommates or something, uh, chances are they're not going to know that you are engaging that kind of behavior. I actually had this moment um, in January where I went to a friend's birthday. And at the time, I was still, you know, pretty insecure about like the food choices that I was making because I stopped eating gluten and sugar and yeah, just like a, a like fish, 
meat and like a bunch of other things. And when you're spending time with other people, there's a lot of social pressure that comes from like what you choose to put into your own body. And for some reason, people feel attacked when they are spending time with someone that is um, adhering to principles or like a diet or, you know, some kind of like operating system that maybe they themselves want to, to adopt, but they aren't for some reason, or maybe they're like, yeah, behaving in a way that makes them feel inferior because, you know, they might have habits that, that they envy. And because it brings out like this kind of like insecurity that manifests itself usually in like the attack form, it can really be uncomfortable for someone when they want to, you know, be a better version of themselves. And there's like this pressure from other people. It's usually quite innocent, but it can be something like, come on, man, just eat this. Like, it's not a big deal. Or come on, just take a drink. Like, we're all relaxing. We earned it. Or you, you know, you work so hard this week, like you deserve to sleep in. Um, those are all justifications for the behavior. And it's not to say that it's not um, something that you should do, right? It's about balance, but it's really important to recognize that like, if you told yourself the day before that you weren't going to do something because you really do have a problem with that, you feel like it's not something that's serving you. And then the minute that you have the opportunity to finally say, like the, the first chance you get to say no to that thing so that you can kind of prove to yourself that you're serious, if you say yes to it, after promising yourself that you're going to say no to it, you start living this like dual life where the voice inside of you that wants you to be a better version of yourself stops trusting the um, automatic behavior that you exhibit. And so there's like a version of you that wants you to be fit and hardworking and to feel good and to be happy. And then there's the part of you that's like literally a caveman or a cave woman that's just like on autopilot. And when you have this kind of duality, it makes it really difficult to love yourself because, you know, even though you're not your thoughts, you are definitely going to be observing how you behave in the world. And that is going to have an impact on what you think of yourself. And so if you're constantly doing things that you say you're not going to do anymore, how do you think that's going to make you feel about yourself? You're probably going to feel guilt and shame and anger and frustration, sometimes sadness, sometimes regret, but whatever it is, it's not healthy. The same way that you wouldn't want to be in a relationship with someone that constantly promises things that they can't deliver, why would you want to be a person who can't even, you know, adhere to the the promises that they make themselves to themselves? And so that's something that I think about a lot because when it comes down to becoming a better version of yourself, it's not perfection that is the desired outcome. I think it's peace or harmony or balance because if it's perfection and I can definitely speak from experience on this. If it's perfection and you say like, I'm never going to do this thing again. Like I, I stopped drinking for seven and a half months. And then a couple of weeks ago, I had a drink for the first time. And then since I've gone out a few times and drank. And, you know, 
there are moments, um, not luckily, not with this time, but there, there have been moments in the past where I've had like, if you want to call them streaks and I've broken the streak. And because I break a streak by, you know, engaging the behavior that I was abstaining from, it attacks my identity in a way, makes me feel like I'm not living up to my potential. And then I'm looking at this streak that now needs to be started over from scratch. And what I've found out, at least from my own experiences so far, is that when you make a promise to yourself, it's extremely important that like you keep it. It's just, it's really important that you keep it. And it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, but it just means that like maybe you need to be a little bit more realistic. And so it's always good to shoot for the stars or yeah, whatever. I, I hate that expression. Uh, it's always good to just like aim high because if you aim high, then you do tend to fare much better usually than if you kind of, yeah, are not as ambitious. But when you aim high, you also set yourself up to have feelings of failure, right? So it's a bit of a trade-off. I think where I try to, I try to put myself, it's like I, I try to set my goals extremely high, but I always say like, this is a, a reach. And it kind of just puts things into perspective a little bit because if, if I don't achieve exactly what I'm trying to achieve, it's not an identity crisis. It's, and it's not even like, I guess more importantly than managing my own expectations and saying this is a reach goal. It's also about saying like, if I don't achieve this thing, I'm still worth it. I'm still like worthy of my own love and my own affection. So whatever happens, happens. And, you know, once you can actually give yourself that, that level of support, I think it's easier to give other people support. And sometimes something that I've noticed as well is that in the past, like when I judge other people or when I have judged other people, it's usually like me pointing the finger at myself and saying that I wish I, I did a better job, that I was like a better version of myself. And I just like, you know, take it out on this other person, a person that sometimes I don't even know. Like it, it can just be like judging a random person that I meet and, you know, having to kind of like reverse engineer those thoughts and think, ah, okay, I am, you know, saying this thing to this person or I'm thinking this thing about this person, but I don't even know this person. Um, it's probably because of X, Y, and Z. And then I kind of like work backwards from there and, and think, am I just saying this because I'm, you know, I feel like I'm not doing a good enough job with my diet or a good enough job with my lifting or whatever it is. So changing with the seasons is something that does happen. And once I recognize that I have patterns in my behavior, it made it a lot easier, I think, to accept myself and say, look, during the summertime, I do tend to be a lot looser. During the wintertime, I tend to be a lot more buttoned up and disciplined. But those are parts of myself. And even though I, I would like to reach a point where like, there's less of a difference between winter and summer Macklin, you know, it's a work in progress. And 
you know, every single day, I don't know who I'm going to wake up as. I don't know if anyone really knows who they're going to wake up as on a given day. You know, sometimes you wake up and you're just like not in the best mood. Other times you wake up and like, I've had moments where I've woken up and I've literally cried because I've been so happy to be alive. And there are other days where I wake up and I feel like a robot. Um, You know, I'm just kind of like emotionless and cold. But what I have found is that, you know, journaling and then writing out my affirmations and then also meditating, it resets me in a place, to a place of just peace and wholeness. And that's why I think it's so important to have a morning routine. I know a lot of people don't have morning routines. And, you know, some people will say, I'm not a morning person. But if you think about it, the earlier that you get that routine, the faster your brain is going to be primed for the rest of the day. So if you're someone that wants to wait until after work to do a routine, you might have worked for eight hours feeling like shit. And then now at six o'clock, you're meditating and you're starting to feel good. It's like, okay, well, you probably could have felt better from the beginning of the day just by starting your day that way, even if you fall asleep a little bit because you're tired during the meditation. So, I learn a lot from re-listening to some of these episodes because one of the things that journaling has taught me is that we tend to repeat a lot of the same things over and over again. So a lot of our thoughts are just repetitive. And sometimes I'll, I'll be writing something in my journal, like today I was writing something, and three or four words into it, I had this like feeling that maybe I've already written about this exact topic. So I flipped back one day and there it was like literally the sentence started off the exact same way and I was going to finish it the exact same way. And this happens quite a bit, right? So I'm, I'm quite aware of it at this point. Like sometimes I'll just start saying something in the journal and then I'll look down and be like, mm, this looks familiar. And even if it doesn't look familiar, sometimes I check just to make sure because, you know, these thoughts are sneaky. You don't always know uh, if a thought is original. Sometimes you'll have the same thoughts for, you know, weeks or months and you won't even realize that it's a pattern. Um, But that's actually like something that I've used in the past to determine whether or not something is a good idea or an idea that's worth pursuing, I should say is that I look to see how many times that idea has repeated itself. And there have been certain projects of mine where I've just looked at this idea and said, okay, I've, I've had this idea now for a year and it continues to come back. It's, it's here for a reason and I know that I need to act on it because it's not going to go away. It's almost like a calling, right? It's almost like when you hear an echo in a hallway. That's what it's like. So I encourage you, if you also feel like there are certain ideas that continue to bounce around your head, they're probably not there by accident. There's probably something very deep inside of you that wants to realize that. It's like some level of self-actualization. The other day I was having a conversation with someone and they asked, what do you want? Why are you dating? What do you want in a relationship? Do you want a relationship? It took me a while to really like put it into a to mouth words instead of just like my own ideas. But I think like I, I've kind of started to iron it out a little bit. And I think really what I would look for in someone is someone who's 
got a growth mindset and is extremely spiritual and is okay with admitting that they don't know everything and wants and has like an intellectual curiosity and wants to find out for themselves. They want to adventure. They have an intellectual, like, uh, like a, an intellectual curiosity, a sense of adventure, you know, something that draws them to ask questions and then try to find the answers to them. I think that's really cool. And something that I learned in past relationships is like when you don't have banter and you don't have that like sense of connection that comes from just being like super um, open-minded and creative. I I think creativity is something that is so underrated, but my brain is like, I would say I'm a very creative person in terms of like how I come up with ideas. I can just come up with like the most random ideas on the spot. I am worried that ChatGPT might put me out of business because, you know, maybe you can type into ChatGPT, like come up with, well, actually one day if I start writing books like I'd like to, you're going to just be able to say like come up with five ideas um, that Macklin Buckler might have come up with. And then it'll just like extrapolate based on past things that I've said and maybe come up with like similar ideas. And maybe I'll even say, damn, that's a good idea. I should have come up with that. But for me, at least I love creativity and other people. I think it's a really beautiful thing when someone's brain works in a way that allows them to kind of like unlock or tap into that childlike sense that apparently never went away. And I still have that in myself as well. Like I'm just I think I'll always have like the five-year-old Macklin in my brain um, telling, you know, telling like stupid jokes and the 29-year-old me is like, shh, don't say that. That's really stupid. And then I'll be like, don't say it. Don't you say it. And then I say it and I'm like, God, you fucking said it. And I I like that because it really keeps life interesting. Um you know, some, sometimes I've, somebody told me once when I was a lot younger, they go, it seems like you have a story for everything. And then someone else said, and this is not to me, but I read somewhere that like interesting people do interesting things. And, you know, I've found that I just have had so many interesting experiences and interesting, not, you know, not to say like, every single one of my stories is like enlightening or funny or whatever, but different at the very least, you know, I have a lot of stories uh, about just like random things that I would have never expected to happen. I'll give you one really good example. In college at one of the schools that I went to, I had a fake ID that a friend that I knew found on the side of the road. Uh, This guy was six foot three. He had black hair and blue eyes Oh, sorry. I now I need to convert for anybody that's not using Imperial. This guy was 180 meters, centimeters. <laughs> Holy shit, 180 meters. This guy was a fucking skyscraper. Um, actually, I don't know how big 180 meters is, but it sounds quite big. Anyway, so this guy was uh, 180 centimeters. He was an extremely tall person, and I am 100. Wait. <laughs> Now I have to do some freaking math. All right, let, let me just find this out because this is going to kill me if I get this conversion wrong and then I just get shit on for this. Okay, six foot three 
in centimeters. Okay. This guy was 190, not 180, 190 centimeters. I am 177 centimeters tall. So when I handed the bouncer this ID, understandably because I also do not have blue eyes, he looked at me very funny and looked back at the ID and then looked at me very funny and then looked back at the ID and said, you're six foot three. And my first response was, I used to be. And he just pauses, <laughs> like he's 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 looking at me quizzically. I said, I used to be, but I had Lyme disease and I woke up in the hospital and I was shorter. And he just like, I don't think he had a response. He was just like, damn, that's some shit. And he just gave me the ID back and let me go inside. But like he pitied me. I could tell that like he actually believed it. And there, there is a little bit of truth in there. Um, no, I mean, I was never 190 centimeters, but when I had Lyme disease, it attacked my growth plates. And one day I woke up with one leg longer than the other leg. And rumor has it that I was still growing. And then my long leg went back to being short again. I don't know. That's just uh, an assumption. <laughs> but no, seriously, I did wake up one day and I had to, they were going to have to operate on me because one of my hips was so inflamed that it pushed up um, my legs, well, one of my legs. So the other leg just appeared really long. And then the doctor said, yes, it's, it's attacking your growth plates. And I said, no, I need those. Fuck. I think my, my dad, I don't talk to him, but I think he's 190 centimeters. Actually, my brother might be like 185, 188. Um, and you know, I don't know anybody that would have ever said that to a bouncer. Like it was literally the most bizarre response, like in hindsight, but it worked and it was funny. And I felt like shit the entire night because I was like, damn, I don't even want to be in here. Like I only got in because this guy like legitimately thinks that I shrunk. Uh, so I didn't really have a great night. And, you know, I've had a lot of really random memories, uh, like a lot of really random things like that have happened to me. Just like being in the wrong place at the wrong time kind of situations. Uh, like there was, uh, there was this girl that I knew from one of my classes when I was at my first school, I was 17 years old and I bought weed from her or yeah, she said that she could buy, that she could get us weed. And you know, I, I was a poor college kid. I think I gave her 20 bucks. And so I gave her the money and she told me that the guy would come in like 20 minutes and then I, I would just get it from her after she got it from him. So 20 minutes go by and I knock on her door and she answers and she's like really drunk. And she's like, what do you want? And I was like, hey, I was just wondering, like, did you hear from the guy? And she's like, yo, I fucking told you. I'll let you know when it gets here. And she was like slurring her words really hard. She, she really did not seem like she was all there. And the way that my, the university that I went to um, had its dorms was like, it was motel style where all of the doors were outside. So like the structure itself did not have hallways. It was just like all of the doors were on the outside. So yeah. Um, 
it was a two-story building and there was a staircase near uh near her door and so she comes out of the um dorm and she's like kind of like getting in my face and she's like cursing at me and she's like slurring her words and all i was asking for is like hey you know what can i just get the money back um she was already going to place an order so i just thought like i'll just get my money back and go ask somebody else well we're standing like pretty close to the staircase and she throws the money at me like into my chest and like it just bounces um, onto the ground and I go to pick up the money and she pushes me as I'm picking up the money and I start stumbling backwards down a flight of stairs. So I'm like trying to hold on to the railing and I'm like kind of, you know, like um, skipping a couple of steps because I, I, I literally can't like catch myself and I finally do hold on to the railing after I've like fallen down like a couple of steps. And as I'm like standing up trying to like get my balance, there's this other kid that's with her, I guess like he's the guy that she was drinking with, not the guy that was selling the weed, who at, who like rushes me and says, yo, get your hands off of her. Why did you push her? And I'm like, dude, did you just see, I just got pushed down a flight of stairs. Like I didn't touch this girl. And he starts throwing punches at me. So we're just like exchanging punches on the staircase. And there's this kid that lived in my hall that, that I knew pretty well. And he breaks up the fight and starts holding him back. So I walk away and I'm like, you know, almost down the, the, the flight of stairs. I just thought like, okay, it's over. Well, he lets go of this kid. So now there's like the fight is continuing because this kid jumps down the rest of the stairs and now we're just like fighting each other. And there's this like moment when I'm on top, just like punching him in the face. Sorry, I know this is kind of violent, but I, like we're kind of like wrestling in a way, like, you know, just whatever, trying to like not be beaten up. And he screams at the top of his lungs. And it turns out that like he had just gotten, he was on the soccer team or the football team. <laughs> uh, he was on the football team, um, European football, and he had just gotten stitches on his knee. And so when we were fighting, he actually tore the stitches on his leg and he was just like screaming in pain. Well, anyway, um, that fight does end and the campus police are like looking for me, him and this girl. Uh, they do eventually find me, but I just said I wasn't there. And then they find her and they find him. The next day, we all have to go into a uh, administrator's office to explain the situation, why we, why I fought this kid or why he fought me. He technically fought me. And my story and his story were pretty much the same story, except like it was, you know, him saying that I punched him first and me saying he punched me first. This girl's story was like make-believe land where we were in a completely different part of the university. She had no recollection of what had happened. She literally just seemed to have made up a story. So they're like, okay, this girl clearly was extremely drunk. She's in a lot of trouble. You guys were also drunk, so you're in a lot of trouble. And uh, yeah, they put me on like a probation with this other kid. And then I ended up um, transferring colleges because I couldn't afford it. But yeah, that was a just a situation that I feel like would not have happened to the, the average person. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was like, I mean, it was definitely like I was 
I'm not faultless in this, in this situation, but I have a lot of stories like that where just like really random shit happened. Um, yeah, I mean, that school too was just like full of degenerate people. Like there were some really nice people that I went to school with, like just really like kind, salt of the earth people. And then there were other people that were just like straight up unhinged. Um, I mean, I, I've mentioned the kid that like pooped in the pool. So the scuba program couldn't swim in the pool. They had to clean it. But there was just like, you know, tons and tons of like ridiculousness. Like there was this one kid who, I mean, this is kind of sad, but he, he was definitely like an alcoholic. He was a motorcycle racer. So he competed in races professionally and he was apparently really good. So he would like make money on these professional motorcycle races. And then he would take that money. And I, he always, every single time that I saw him, he was drunk. And it was mostly like he would buy a bottle of vodka, like a jug of vodka and sit in the room and just drink it all day and cry and stuff. It was really bizarre. And one day, um, his friend who was in a relationship with this girl, uh, they were both very tall people. Like the guy and the girl were probably both 185 centimeters, maybe like, I don't know what that is, six foot, six foot two, six foot one. And so they were pretty much the same height and they got into a fist fight because she started punching him in the face. But this girl knew how to fight apparently because she was like, I've never seen anything like it. This girl was like rocking him. And he was just like trying to defend himself. They were boyfriend and girlfriend, by the way. And then there is this kid, um, the motorcycle racer, who's just like crying with his jug of vodka. Or I guess he probably didn't have the jug outside because we're on campus, but he had been drinking the jug of vodka in his bedroom. And he was just like crying, trying to break it up. Yeah, a lot of unhinged shit that I've, that I've witnessed, which has been pretty funny. Um, some of it, not that, but some of it has been pretty funny in hindsight. I had a flashback the other day. I was thinking about like awkward shit that's happened to me that like would one day make it into a memoir. Um, I had a huge crush on one of my professors at university. She is a political science professor who focuses on international conflict. Um, but her specialty, like her area of focus is the Middle East. And I used to just have a massive crush on her when she would teach because not only was she beautiful, but she was so well-spoken and so intelligent and like part of so many different like papers, you know, you could find her, her writing. And so on the final exam, I remember we took the final exam outside because it was like the most beautiful day. So we're all like taking the final exam outside. And on the back of my final exam, I wrote like, would you want to go on a date sometime? And handed it to her and forgot about it. And when I got my exam back, I remembered, oh, I asked her out on a date. I don't even know if I put it on the back. I actually really do believe to this day that I put it right on the front of it or on the last question. But whatever it was, she did not respond to it at all. <laughs> I don't know if she ever saw it, but she must have. But I still got an A and I was pretty pumped about that. I thought I was going to get some points docked, but I was ready. Another time I had a field trip for a class and the night before the field trip, I had made an agreement with two of my friends from the class 
So the field trip was going to be, and this was college, by the way, the field trip was going to be from upstate New York to Brighton Beach, which is like a, um, I guess, an, ethnic, an ethnically Russian area in near New York City. I think it's in Brooklyn. Like an ethnically Russian neighborhood. And so we were going to go there and, I don't know, do something, see the areas. <laughs> So anyway, I agreed with them like, hey guys, why don't we just get extremely drunk and then we'll leave directly from the bar because the the, the bus is leaving at five o'clock in the morning. And they agreed. So we went to the bar, we started drinking together. Maybe around like 12 o'clock, I, one of them left. I just couldn't find him. And then sometime after that, the other one left and I couldn't find him. So I ended up going back to my room at... 2 30 or 3 o'clock and i said to my roommate at the time who's still one of my best friends it's like dude you gotta wake me up if uh if my alarm goes off and i don't get up you gotta wake me up he was like all right so i wake up and it is like seven o'clock so i've missed <laughs> the bus and i check my phone and i have like three missed calls and one of the calls is from the kids from my class, each. Uh, another call is from a number that I don't recognize, like from upstate New York. And the other one is like, I don't know, someone else from my class. I just had like a few missed calls and I was pretty confused about it. So I see that I have some voicemails. So I click one of the voicemails and it's like the professor of the class saying, hey Macklin, we're all on the bus just wondering, where are you? We're about to leave. Then maybe like five minutes later, there's another one. Hey, Macklin, uh, we're still on the bus. You know, just wanted to know. We need to leave. Are you coming? The third message, I just hear this same professor. He goes, three, two, one. And then in unison, the entire class on the bus goes, Goodbye, Macklin. And then there's laughter, and then he hangs up. I felt so ashamed of myself and so stupid. And that was the reason that I got, like I would have had a perfect score in that class almost. I probably would have had a 96 out of 100. Um, and that was the reason that I had like an 89 or whatever, because it was an actual graded field trip on a Saturday, which should have been a crime, by the way. I like to take the weekends off from studying, or at least like having mandatory field trips. And that is something, it's like not a regret of mine because it's a funny story, but it's just one of those things where it's like so embarrassing. You know, as long as I live, I'll never forget that I missed a field trip because I stayed out too late the night before. <laughs> man. Yeah. So, um, sometimes I think about just like the bizarre shit that's happened over the years. I'm grateful that it has happened because it's, again, it's, it entertains me. Uh, but I, I really don't believe like if there is a heaven, I really don't believe that I would have made it to heaven, um, until like I turned 25 or 26. 
you know, I'm glad that I survived as long as I have, because I feel like now I'm, I'm moving in the right direction and actually like getting to a place where I make decisions that are in my long-term best interest and the interest of the people that are around me. And something that I've been thinking uh, a little bit about as well is this idea of trauma. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of people that walk around with trauma. They have it in their lives. And some someone or something put it there, right? And we know this. We know that people hurt each other all the time. But I think like f- until the time that I was 25 or 26, maybe even, yeah, probably 26, I guess I just thought like I was acting in the best in the best way that I could or like acting in like acting with good intent and just because things didn't go the way that they should have um didn't mean that I was like quote causing trauma. What I've come to realize though is that whether you want to be a source of trauma or not every interaction that you have with another person is a potential source of trauma. And I'm not saying trauma to sound dramatic. I'm not saying that like, you know, every single thing that you do is going to ruin someone's life. But if you deliver something that you want to say to something to someone, sorry, if you deliver something that should be delivered delicately, but you're extremely careless about the way that you say it, it could really hurt that person's feelings. And they could always remember that thing. If you break up with them because you're not honest and you wait until like the situation is escalated, even though it's been three months and you've wanted to break up with them for every single day for the past 90 days, it's going to hurt them, right? It's just going to hurt. It's going to hurt them. And I think in the past, like I was so uncomfortable with the idea of conflict, so uncomfortable with the idea of like having to have difficult discussions that I just avoided it like a lot of people do. And I also thought like, okay, well, you know, I'm not a bad guy. I I would never be, I really could never see myself as being like one of those horror stories that you hear of like a guy who like goes out to a restaurant with a girl and tells her what he, what she can order. I would never do that. I would also never be the person that like, I'm just not inconsiderate, I guess, in that way. I was raised with manners and I am extremely considerate especially like when it comes to meeting people for the first time over time, you know, being considerate is something where I have definitely run into trouble, but I've, again, it's about seeing the other people and making sure that they feel loved and heard and seen. So I've gotten better about that, but you know, trauma can really happen in ways that are not obvious. You know, it could be something that you didn't even think landed the way that it did and it ends up like really hurting that person Um, or something that you didn't say that they felt like you should have said and the reason that I bring this up is that a lot of us are walking around with trauma that we don't even realize and in past relationships I didn't realize that I was also operating from a place of lack and a place of trauma myself and most of the decisions that I was making I couldn't have actually made the right decision because I wasn't operating with the full information. I wasn't aware that I was operating from a place of lack. I thought I was just being myself. And I used to have this mindset that a lot of people I know have still, which is like, I'm perfect the way that I am, accept it or stop talking to me. And I just think that that's like an extremely toxic way of looking at it because 
you know, chances are you're not the person that you're meant to be yet. You know, we're all evolving every single day. We need to, because if we don't evolve, things don't change. And if things don't change, they can't get better. So yeah, I really believe it's important to take accountability and recognize like, you know, some of the things that you do and say are not as light as they might feel because you know what you're thinking when you're doing these things, but the other person that you're doing them to doesn't know. And so if you're not like very open and honest about like why you decided to break up, that person might actually come up with their own reason, fill in the blanks, and that might actually be much more hurtful to them than the actual reason. I've had relationships end, uh, almost all my relationships, except like maybe one, I would say except for one, have ended without me telling the real reason why it ended. And without going into like which relationships these are because that's not important, I will say that the majority of my relationships ended because I didn't, I wasn't in love with that person anymore. And I couldn't see myself with them anymore. And someone said something to me the other day, which was interesting, which was like, they feel like in relationships, it's so much, it's so much like more desirable when the other person isn't always available. Like there's some kind of mystery or intrigue. And I didn't realize this, but it goes both ways as much as we want the other person to be around because it's like so validating when the other person like wants to spend time with us, we kind of need to leave something to the imagination in a way to just like have that feeling of allure and mystery. And it doesn't have to be, you know, extreme. It doesn't have to be like, you never know when you're going to see the other person again or something like that. But something needs to change, you know, between the the time that you've seen them and the next time. Because if it's always static or you're always seeing them every day and not enough time has passed um, for ch- real change to happen, then it kind of gets dull. And so one of the things that I think can actually mitigate this is being with somebody that is that has a growth mindset and is constantly evolving and is constantly like tackling new ideas. Because at least in my experience so far, I find it so entertaining and so cool when I'm spending time with someone who, you know, from the last time that we've spoken, has all these different viewpoints and all of these different like ideas that they've come across. And they've like maybe pursued those ideas themselves. So they're just like super excited and they're curious and they just want to share these things with you. And something that I kind of responded to the other day when I was having this conversation about like what makes something alluring or mysterious, my my response was like, if somebody that I'm with has their own hobbies and their own life outside of me, it's all about, okay, sorry. If somebody has their own hobbies and, and life outside of me, it makes me feel like there's a mystery because there's something else that they're focusing on. And that's really cool when someone does not make you the center of the relationship. You know, it's good to be loved. And it's actually, I would say it's essential to feel loved in a relationship. But when you feel like the other person only puts you above them all the time and there's no like, 
other focus for them. It's either you or Netflix (laughs) or their friends. It can feel like, in a way, like suffocating because what, what would happen after like the honeymoon phase is over when I go back to being like the version of myself that's more closely aligned with who I am normally? You know, the, the person that loves reading and loves writing and loves like spending time alone and, and going on adventures with friends and doing things that are interesting. Does that person just get like, um, do, does the flame go out? Do I just like retire that, that side of myself and just, you know, become the relationship? I can honestly say that that has never worked yet in a relationship. And I, th- I just think it's super important that even though you may really want the other person to spend time with you all the time, because it is, it's again, it's nice, it's fulfilling, it's validating when the other person says, hey, I was going to do this other thing, but because you really want to hang out with me, I'm going to cancel that thing. In the beginning, that's amazing. It's such a good feeling. It's like, oh, dang, she want to hang out tonight. That's nice. But then after, it's like, okay, you're kind of sacrificing yourself for this relationship and that's kind of unattractive because in a way it makes it feel like you don't have like a strong compass or strong character it's not to say that you're weak but like you clearly put what's what is in this relationship above everything else now i've never had a kid and and so maybe I can't actually speak to this, but I have heard people say that like having a child changes everything, right? It, it just changes the way that people think about their priorities in life. And until that happens, you know, I really do believe that like my main priority is going to always be becoming a better version of myself and doing the things that are necessary to show up as the best version of myself in every interaction. That's the reason that people go to therapy, right? Like, when you're in a relationship with someone who's going to therapy, I don't think that it's, it would be like a common reaction that you'd say, you spend a lot of time in therapy. Why would you say that? You know, it's, it's for your benefit in a lot of ways that they go to therapy, that they take care of themselves because when they don't take care of themselves, you just end up dealing with like a version of them that looks like the person that you fell in love with, but is like a bastardized version of them where they're not even like, you know, happy and they're not communicative. So I think it's really important that both parties enable each other to be better versions of themselves, even if they have to pass up on hanging out when they both want to. Because, you know, sometimes sometimes you have a trip planned with your friends. And yes, as it gets closer, maybe you don't feel as excited to go. But if they're really your friends, chances are you will never regret spending time with them. That's like the truth. Anybody that is a friend of mine, I don't regret spending time with. It doesn't matter how much time it is. It doesn't matter what we do. I told you the story of going to the uh, auto body shop the other day with one of my friends and helping him pick up his tires that he had left there two years earlier. That's still like a highlight for me uh, for this month because I got to spend time with somebody that I really love. And I went on a hike with my friends, like with a a different group of friends, like a week after that. And so that's kind of like the barometer that I use to measure the authenticity of my friendships and the strength of them. And I just think 
it's important to keep that in mind even when you're going through the honeymoon phase because the honeymoon phase is just going to deceive you in a lot of ways. It's going to make you really excited about things and kind of forgetful about, you know, the things that matter, other things that matter to you. And you might end up making decisions and not like creating the boundaries um, that are going to help you keep the relationship alive later on when you really need to have those boundaries established. So it's just really important um, to do that. And I think another thing too, to just keep in mind is a lot of, I've heard a lot of people say that they don't think that there's someone out there that's perfect for them. You know, they say, nah, I'm going to have to settle. I'm going to have like, you know, maybe I'll find someone, maybe, maybe there will be a few things that I don't like about them, but The older I get, the more I'm actually under the impression that that's just not the way that the world works at all. I really believe that like, if you're patient, but you're intentional and you're, and you're, you really know what you actually want and you are working on becoming that person yourself, you're going to find this person that is just like, you're going to literally find a person that is so compatible with you that the thought of having settled for someone else will feel like a crime committed against you. So, you know, I have that with some of my friends. Like, it's not to say that people are perfect. I have friends that have flaws, but those flaws are so small compared to their character traits that I love and admire. Their senses of humor, their perspective, their intelligence. And no matter what, you know, what flaws they have, I know I'm not perfect and I'm not trying to be, and they're not trying to be. And so it's just really easy for us to get along. Now, when you feel like there's like a a difference in values, that's a completely different situation. Like when one person says like, yeah, for me, it's really important that I have my independence. And the other person's like, for me, it's really important that like I spend a a great deal of time with the other person and feel like, you know, feel their love because they show me every single day by like spending quality time with me. You know, that could be a difference that maybe is really difficult for you to overcome because yeah, you're just, you have different values. Or maybe one person says like, I really value honesty. Another person says, I really value like protecting, being protected or like having my feelings protected. Because what that implies is like, you know, one person, if they cheat, if they're cheated on, one person might say, I want to know. Another person might say, I never want to know. And I'm not saying that one way is right or wrong, but like there are people that don't place as much value on certain things in a relationship because maybe they have their own expectations or maybe they're doing their own stuff or whatever it is. There are some people that like a better example would be jealousy. There are some people that view jealousy from the other person as a sign that the other person loves them. I was in a relationship, uh, I'll just say a relationship in the last few years where the woman that I was with told me that I wasn't jealous enough and I found myself becoming jealous and I'm not a jealous person. Like I really tend to be quite relaxed about things. Like she asked me if she could hang out with a guy that she used to have a thing with because they were friends. She also asked if she could hang out with a guy that she was in a relationship with in the past, and now they're just friends. And I didn't 
think twice about it. I was like, yeah, obviously do, you got to do you, you know, like if that's, I didn't even think of it, you know, it was just like, yeah, of course. The same way that like, I would expect her to say yes. If I was like, Hey, I'm going to spend some time with my boys tonight. Is that cool? You know, it's like you ask, but you know, in the back of your mind, you're just expecting an answer to be yes. Right. And so like, for me, I just didn't think of it. And then later on, she's like, it feels like you just don't care about me because you're not jealous enough. And I was like, I don't want to feel jealousy. You know, I don't like that feeling of not feeling like I can trust the other person. And what's funny is like, I've been in relationships while well, I was in one relationship, particularly where every single night I had no idea if the girl that I was with was having sex with someone else because we weren't official, but we said that we loved each other. And it was super painful for me because I had to strike this kind of balance between, you know, on the days of us spending time together, I was like completely head over heels for her and wishing that, you know, she was my girlfriend or she were my girlfriend and that we were going to get married. And she would tell me, yes, we will get married. You know, you're the only person that I want to be with. And then the next time that we weren't hanging out together in the back of my mind, I was thinking, is she having sex with someone else? And she, in a lot of cases told me, yes, <laughs> that's exactly what she was doing. And so it, it's tough because I know that I'm capable of being jealous, but it's not my natural state. And I don't distrust people. My natural inclination with anyone is just to trust them. It's easier. Um, it requires like less thinking. It's emotionally like a lot less uh, tumultuous. You can just kind of assume the best in the other person. But once you start to like operate from like a place of like scarcity, especially in that way, it can just like make your life a living hell because your brain is capable of creating situations that aggravate you and and play on all of your weaknesses in a way that no story that you ever read, no movie that you ever watch is capable of. It's like your own version of hell that you create in your own head. And so, yeah, in past relationships, like I have always been really hands off when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I really do value independence. And, you know, like, I think it's just really important, again, to like understand when you're going into a relationship, like what it is that you want out of the relationship itself. And like, um, if everything goes smoothly, where is like the furthest that you would want it to go? How emotionally available are you? Is this end game? Is this, let's see what happens? Is this, I only want a fling? Is this one night stand? Whatever it is. But it's important to know this because if you don't know it, you or you, or you, you think you know it, but you haven't actually thought it through, you're going to be making decisions and operating off of incorrect information and maybe saying and doing things unintentionally without realizing it. Like I've gotten myself into trouble in the past where in moments when I wasn't feeling emotionally available, you know, I said or did things that suggested that I was very much emotionally available. And that's not great because the other person gets the opinion that, okay, you know, he's serious. Let's see where this goes. And inside, you know, you're having a crisis because there's, if you're self-aware, there's a part of you that knows what you're doing and how it's being perceived. 
And you need to take accountability for that, I, I believe. Because if you don't, then you're really just being unfair to the other person. So, yeah. Um, wow, this one, this one was a heavy one. But I guess like it, it all really comes down to intention, intentionality, intentionalness, intention. Intention. It comes down to intention. It comes down to mindfulness. It comes down to open-mindedness at least in my book, like these are the things that I really care about and wanting to see the best in the other person, wanting the other person to be the best version of themselves. Like to me, one of the most attractive things that I could ever imagine is getting into a relation, like entering into a relationship with a woman that is motivated, ambitious, open-minded, um, intelligent, hardworking, ethical, and has a growth mindset because What's so, what's so like, I mean, obviously and loving and empathetic, but like what's so beautiful about that is like, I know that if I enter into a relationship with someone that's like that, that's like me in that way, in five years, the relationship could be way better than it was even at the beginning because we're just continuing to evolve and we're continuing to try new things and to like, you know, explore new ideas and look at problems in different ways and challenge each other and maybe we like end up traveling to, to places that we never thought we would go and maybe even living places that we never thought we would or having jobs that we never thought we would or like you know one of the things that I really see myself doing is like giving speeches in front of like thousands of people whether it's motivational speeches or presenting research or whatever it is um, helping people but also just being in front of many people at once. That's something that I, I see for my future. I also see myself writing books and having companies and just being like very well known for what I want to be known for. And I just would want the other person that I'm with to also be the best version of themselves, whatever that looks like for them, because that's just super attractive to me. And I just find that that would probably be the recipe for a very successful long-term relationship. But everyone's different. I know other people that want things to be a little bit more simple. I know in the past I've had relationships where like it was fine um, to just spend, you know, all the time, all, all time, all time. Oh my God. <sighs> I'm still learning how to speak um, English. Uh, there were relationships where like it was fine to spend every weekend inside watching Netflix every night after work watching Netflix, it was pretty much just like we were never conscious at the same time. One of my friends yesterday was um, telling me about his relationship and he said that he felt like he wasn't, the way that he, he made it sound like, he felt like it was a little bit imbalanced, the relationship, because he wanted to see his girlfriend apparently more than she wanted to see him. At least that's how it felt. And you know, I said, look, you got to like speak up. If if those are things that are happening to you in your life and in the relationship and you don't actually surface it, you're expecting another person to guess what's going on. And that's when you see people say, no, I'm fine when they are really fuming. No, it's fine. It's like, okay, well, look, I'm not a, I'm not a, a private investigator, but I can tell that, you know, there's something amiss why don't we just chat through it? 
And I pretty much said to him, like, to me, a relationship is just a collection of micro moments that you spend with another person. And I call them micro moments because, you know, chances are if you're both working, there are these like little slivers throughout the day. If you're working from the same place, let's say you're in your apartment all day. There are these like little moments where like maybe you have like a five minute coffee together or, you know, you pass each other on the way you're going to the kitchen. She's going to the bathroom and you give each other a hug and a kiss and you're like, I love you. And when you're hanging out with each other after work, maybe you only hang out for like three or four hours um, if they're at your place, you're at theirs, and then you go to sleep. And to, to, to make that even more fragmented, there are times when like you're in the same room as each other, but you're distracted. So like, yeah, you're on the computer, or she's on the computer, or she's on Instagram or whatever you're doing. You're not there at the same time. So maybe you're there and you're present and you're looking at her while she's not or She's present and she's looking at you while you're not. So the amount of quality time that you're actually spending together gets divided even more. So maybe like out of the four hours that you're spending together, only 45 minutes, you're actually like with each other at the same time. You're not just in the same place in different in different worlds. And I, I brought that up to him because I really do believe that in a lot of ways, like it's, that's what life is. It's just like the things that happen between the, the things that happen in the waking hours is life. And people want to make it seem like it's like, you know, it's got to be glamorous. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. Well, that's just not the way that it is. You know, life, the, the life that, that we see in Instagram would be like the highlights of your life, but also to take it even a step further, it would be like the highlights of your life while you're conscious, because there are a lot of good things that are happening on a daily basis that you're just not aware of because you're you're looking at your phone or like you're not paying attention, but like maybe you miss a joke. You're standing in a room with like a few coworkers and you're zoning out and someone makes a really good joke. And that's a joke that like you would have laughed your ass off, but you weren't paying attention. Boom, there we go. There was a, a moment, a highlight, but you missed it. Or, you know, you decided to stay home and work from home that day and that was the day that the entire team went out for lunch and you know, everybody grew a little bit closer together, but you weren't there, right? And it's not to say it's good or bad or whatever. It's just the way that life works is like, it's it's really just these little slivers of time that are pretty much engulfed by automatic behavior, distraction, work, responsibility, worry, stress, pain, love, uh, whatever, right? And we're not conscious a lot, you know, during the day I'm, I'm awake. I don't know, like everyone else, probably like 16 to 18 hours a day. And of that time, maybe I'm only conscious like four hours of that time because the rest of the time is like these like little slivers of like one to three minutes where I have like a moment of like presence and I'm like, oh shit, I'm alive. And then the rest of the time is like, oh, I got an email. Oh, I got a text message. Oh, someone's calling me. Oh, my dog needs to go for a walk. Oh, the weather changed. Oh, there's a pigeon outside on the balcony taking a shit on my plants. And so, yeah, um, that's really what I see a relationship being is like these this collection of these like little moments that you spend with another person. And I, I think it would be so much better to spend those little moments with someone who gets you on like a deep psychological, philosophical a spiritual level, somebody that really makes you feel like during those little moments, like you have enlightenment during that time. And not everybody feels that way. 
and that's okay. You just have to know what you want. I think I want to marry like a female Socrates, preferably like a different physique and a different face and no beard and hair. But you know, if, if I have to settle for literally someone that looks like Socrates, who identifies as a woman, I might take it, honestly. <laughs> that sounds fucked up. I might take it. Um, I would just be very happy, though, to end up with someone that is always questioning life and, and always asking really interesting philosophical questions and is always, like, pushing back and retorting and likes to have arguments. Not like arguments, but philosophical debates and takes sides that they don't believe in and, you know, comes up with, like, kooky ideas and is funny and whatever. So I know that that person is out there and I don't expect them to be perfect, and I don't expect them to complete me. But if I don't rise to the occasion and become the best version of myself, there is like a 0% chance that I will ever find that person. And I also believe the same goes for you. If you're listening to this and you feel like you're not with the person that you're meant to be with, it's okay. If you're with somebody and you're not happy, it's okay. Maybe they are the right person for you, but you need to rise to the occasion. Maybe you need to be vocal. If they're not the right person for you, maybe it's time to, you know, reconsider. You know, it, it'll hurt their feelings. It'll hurt your feelings. You'll feel sad. If they're not the right person, though, you will eventually move on and be grateful that it ended. I realized that this podcast, <clears throat> I've, uh, I've advertised it as a podcast where I just like tell funny stories and do stupid shit or talk about stupid shit that I've done but I, I think it's slowly becoming a dating podcast. So I just want to give a trigger warning to anybody who continues to listen to episodes. I'm thinking about having guests on that are specifically focused on relationships and emotions and just trying to keep this like, <clears throat> I really like the vulnerability side of these conversations because I think vulnerability is like a really interesting topic. And I, I like cutting through the small talk and not talking about like, yeah, like, where are you from? Oh, oh, like, like, uh, the movie Sleepless, Sleepless in Seattle was shot there. That you have, like, sorry, I don't know what where that joke was. There was a joke there, but I missed it. But pretty much, like, when you meet somebody and all the conversation is about, like, it reminding you of this. Oh, that reminds me of this. Oh, what about this? And everything just stays super surface level. I like it when the conversation immediately goes to, like, what do you think about death? Anyway, I'm going to jump off here, guys. It's Friday. I'm going to go take a shower, walk my dog, and uh, she gets, she's also got to eat. And then, uh, yeah, I'm going to have a good night tonight. So I will talk to you guys later. And don't do anything on autopilot when it comes to your relationship. I guess that would be like the, the main takeaway. Be intentional about the relationships that you engage in with your friends, your family, your romantic partners. And, uh, you know, just remember that you only have a certain amount of time on the earth. And, uh, if you make choices that are more aligned with who you want to be, you'll probably enjoy that time a lot more. Alrighty guys, I'll talk to you in the next one.